Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. Hi, welcome. Uh, Beautiful spring day. Uh, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. And I'm your host, David Reed. All right, welcome, everyone. Yeah, we welcome you. Um, I'm going to go over some stats that we got in this week. And I enjoy reading these because it reminds me of... um, Christians and people around the world who are listening to this broadcast and who are using this as a time of devotion for themselves. Um, In the United States, we have 264 on-demand listeners, and these are all um, the radio program listeners. We have 30 in China, two in France, two that joined this week in Germany, two in New Zealand, one in Ireland. And on Facebook, our Facebook Live um, has reached and shared over 3,000. So um, I'm going to ask David if he would lead in prayer and pray for our listeners. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all that listen to the podcast. We thank you, Lord, that you've created technology that allows uh, your word to be transmitted around the world. We pray that this teaching would be beneficial, that people would be saved, and that they would be edified in the truth. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. And I'll just throw in a little comment on that from what your prayer was, that thank, you know, um, thank, thankful for the blessings of this, um, this media that we're able to share. And it's definitely a blessing um, that we're able to, you know, talk to so many across the country, because across the world, because of this media. So media can be sometimes, um, you know, looked at as a bad thing, but then here we're able to use it as a blessing. So I just thought that was interesting. Yes, thank you. Praise, praise the Lord. Yes. Um, last week we covered um, Ephesians 6, 1 through 6, and I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 1, 1 through 6, just to try to Review what we went over last week. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from our God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According to how according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Very great. I'll go on and read um, Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, 
redemption through his blood. Dave, would you like to expound upon that? Yeah, absolutely. So this verse tells us that we have redemption, and, and there's a key phrase here, through his blood. And so if we look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, notice, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So Acts 20, 28 tells us that the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross for our sins was God's own blood. It specifically says his own blood. Now, if we look at Romans 3, 25, we'll see that whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, that's a satisfaction of wrath, through faith in his blood. Romans 3.25 gives us a nice description of what the gospel is. It's faith, it's belief, it's trust in what? In his blood, in the blood of God that Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross. Romans 5 verse 9 says this, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And we have two more verses here. Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in heaven, whether they things in earth, or things in heaven. Now, what did we see from all this? What I want you to notice is simply this. Scripture again and again and again refers to the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. In other words, he died for us. He suffered. It wasn't a natural death. It wasn't an accidental death. It was his offering of himself as a sacrifice for our sins, very much like uh, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament where the animal's blood was shed to make an atonement for man's sin. Now, of course, we know what the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did was far, far superior and eternal and capable of dealing with man's sin. So that's the key thing we need to take from verse 7. We'll now move on to verse 8. Okay. And I'll read uh, Ephesians 1.8. It says, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And let's do verse 9 because I'm going to deal with these two verses together. Okay. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So the Lord has made known unto us the mystery of his will. So what does that mean exactly? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to understand what the word mystery means when it's used in the scriptures. So if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. 
When scripture says a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, it's giving us a definition of what a mystery is. It's wisdom, but it's a particular type of wisdom. It's wisdom that God has hidden. Now, this is a simple example. It's an earthly example, but if you've ever watched a mystery movie or read a mystery novel, obviously there is something that is concealed that's not known or else there is no mystery. The whole point of a mystery movie is there's something that you're not told that you don't figure out until later. It's the idea of information being hid. Well, scripture explains to us that when God uses the word mystery in the scriptures, it's talking about wisdom that was hidden. Well, if it was hidden, that means it wasn't previously known. So what verse 9 tells us is this, is God has made known unto us the mystery of his will. It wasn't known beforehand. It wasn't known because it was hid until God decided to reveal it to us. During the time period in which we live, which scripture calls the dispensation of grace, there is a mystery purpose that God is accomplishing with the body of Christ. And praise God, he's made known unto us the mystery of his will. Let's look at verse 10. On the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. So what Ephesians 1 tells us is that during a future time period, it's called the dispensation of the fullness of times. This will be some point in the future. God has a specific purpose he's going to accomplish, and he's going to gather together in Christ all things, both the things which are in heaven and the things that are on earth, even in him. If you think about Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God divided the universe in Genesis 1 really into two different locations. There's the earth and there's the heavens. And the rest of the Bible is about those two locations. God's dealings on the earth are through his chosen people, the nation Israel. God's purpose for the heavens involves the church, the body of Christ, which is the church that God is forming today during the dispensation of grace. In other words, God has two different groups of saints, two different groups of believers that he is forming throughout time. Israel will inherit the earth forever. The body of Christ will inherit the heavens forever. But what is God going to do in the dispensation of the fullness of times? He's going to gather together all things, both in heaven and in earth, in Jesus Christ. That's his ultimate purpose for this universe. Colossians 1.16 says the following, For by him that's Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. In other words, all the universe, everything that has been created was created for the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will ultimately be gathered together in him. Let's look at verse 11. Okay. 
in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, have obtained an inheritance. So what verse 11 tells us, it says we have obtained an inheritance. In other words, it's, it's already an accomplished fact. It doesn't say we will obtain one in the future. It says we have obtained an inheritance. And what that's telling us is that as members of the church, the body of Christ, we are already recipients of an inheritance. So look with me at Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you've had faith in the gospel of Christ, in other words, if you believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day, then Scripture says you are a child of God. And then verse 17 says this, And if children, then heirs. So if you believe the gospel, you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you are an heir. And if, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, what's exciting about that is it tells us we've already obtained the inheritance. Now, we don't enjoy it fully yet, do we? Because we're still on this sin-cursed earth, and we will enjoy it more fully in the future. But have we already obtained it? Has God already chosen to give it to us? Yes, he has. Now, verse 11 says this, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In other words, God has a purpose that he is going to accomplish. Do you ever look at the world and think, this world is a complete mess? I imagine that you think that because I look at the world and I think that all the time. And I think, well, this is just ridiculous, the things that are going on. And the world is in rebellion and things don't make any sense. And it's just just crazy. Well, is the world's craziness going to thwart God's purposes? And the answer is, it's not going to. See, God worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We sometimes get impatient as to the timing. We'd like things to happen more quickly. But are they going to happen? Yes. Will they happen in God's perfect timing? Yes, they will. His purposes will be accomplished. Let's look next at verse 12. Okay. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So the body of Christ, in other words, the the group of saints today, the group of believers, in other words, if you believe the gospel, you are a saint, you are a believer, you're placed into the body of Christ. And what verse 12 says is that that is to the praise of his glory. Mm -hmm. In other words, who gets the credit for saving lost sinners? Well, think with me about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Notice this last part. Lest any man should boast. 
Is there someone that can raise their hand and say, look at me. I got saved because I am so great. I am so terrific. I am so wonderful that God saved me. Now, the reason God saved you is you were horrible and you cried out to him and he chose to save you by his grace. See, what Ephesians 2.8.9 tells us is the only way that anyone gets saved is they get saved by grace. It's a gift from God and there's nothing for them to take credit for. That's why verse 9 ends with, lest any man should boast. If you believe the gospel and you understand the truth about yourself, you realize there's nothing for you to boast about. And you're not saved by your works, you're saved by what Christ did for you. That's why there's no boasting. If you if a verse that's fascinating in that regard, look with me at Romans 3 verse 27. Romans 3:27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Here's what that verse is saying. If God saved us on the basis of works, you could have something to boast about. Because you could say, well, God saved me because I did this. Because I tithed. Because I got water baptized. Because I joined the church. Because I did this good deed. If God saved you by your works, you could boast. But in fact, God saved you by faith. And boasting is excluded by faith. Mm-hmm. So when we think of Ephesians 1.12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, what it's saying is this. When God takes a wretched sinner that deserved to go to the lake of fire forever, and he saves them, he gets the credit for that. That's to the praise of his glory, not ours. Mm-hmm. Let's look at verse 13. Oh, Michael, yes, you're there. Yes, read, I, read verse 13, please. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When somebody, Very good. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And so what verse 13 says, in whom ye also trusted, so you trusted something, and then it says this, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So here's the order of how salvation works. The first thing that happens is you hear the word of truth. You hear the gospel Mm -hmm. of your salvation. Well, when you hear it, what has to happen next? Well, you have to trust it. You have to believe it. And that's your responsibility. And then notice what the next part of the verse says, in whom also after that ye believed, so guess what happens after you believe the gospel? Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So we're thus given a direct order, aren't we? First thing that happens is someone hears the gospel, then they believe the gospel, and after they believe the gospel, what happens? They're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now it uses the word after, but it's not saying it happens four years later. It's saying when you hear the gospel and you believe it, You're sealed with the Holy Spirit at that time. Mm -hmm. Now, Ephesians 4.30 tells us how long the sealing of the Holy Spirit lasts. So Ephesians 4, verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
Now that's exciting. So what that means is you believe the gospel and you're sealed. You're sealed unto the day of redemption, which means you can't lose your salvation anytime during that because you're sealed. And the day of redemption is something that we actually looked at in our first lesson on Ephesians 1. Now, you probably remember this, but get with me Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Romans 8, verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So what Romans 8 does is it tells us what the word adoption means in the scriptures. It refers to the redemption of our body. So let's think just for a minute. When does that occur? When do you get a new body? Well, obviously, we don't get a new body until the rapture, when we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and that's the point at which we get a new body. So let's then put these verses together. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says we're sealed under the day of redemption. So it's from the moment we believe unto the day of redemption. The day of redemption, we know what that is. That's the rapture. That's when we get our new bodies. So the Holy Spirit seals you all the way from the moment you believe until the rapture. Well, once you are participating in the rapture, do you have anything to fear at that point? Is there anything that could be messed up? No, because you're going to be in heaven with the Lord. So what that tells you on the basis of Ephesians 1 verse 13 is that once you believe the gospel, you don't have to worry about your salvation because you're sealed the entire time until you are in the presence of the Lord. That ought to give you a great deal of comfort. Yeah, and definitely, uh, because it, like you said, it's sealing you and, it's, and you're not um, worried about becoming unsealed because it doesn't talk about being unsealed. So I think that's a, a great, um, you know, hope for people that, um, really to give you encouragement. Um, that, that's think. right. Because, you know, like I said, when, um, when I was a teenager, I thought you could be unsealed at any second. <laughs> so life was stressful as a teenager. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, that's definitely an encouragement. Uh, and right before we go to break, um, and then we're going to go to Ephesians 1.14, um, just letting everybody know, just a reminder, that 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Uh, we are all volunteers. Uh, there's no payroll. So your donations are most appreciated. And if you would like to support this ministry to help pay for the broadcast programming time, you can send your donations to 14th Street Ministries at 366 Woods Avenue, Newark, Ohio, 43055. And you can also email us or visit us on our Facebook page um, at 14com uh, forward slash um, online Bible study. And um, you can email us at michaelrmix at 14streetministries.com. All right. And we'll be right back after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. 
You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show. Hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul i'm i'm your host uh, michelle mix i'm your host uh, michael mix I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. All right. Right before we get back into um, Ephesians, um, David, did you have something that you wanted to share with us? Yeah. Um, Michael's kind of to suggest this. We have a, a book that we've written. Uh, it's called Are There Contradictions in the Bible? And the purpose of this book is that it's to help people understand right division, how to rightly divide the word of truth. When, when Michael and Michelle and Pamela started this program, they, they started it with the name, Why Paul? And Paul is an important figure in the Bible because he was given new revelation. And if you're going to understand God's word for you today, you need to understand who Paul is. It's just that simple. Well, our book is an, is an attempt to give you a brief written tr- uh, treatment of how to understand Paul's unique place in the scripture. So if you're interested in a copy of the book, reach out to us and let us know, but we just wanted to make that available to you. Thank so you. thanks for the opportunity to, to make that little plug. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll definitely get it. Um, if you uh, let us know that you would like a copy, you can let us know either by email on Facebook and we'll definitely make sure you get a copy. 
All right. Okay. Uh, so back to Ephesians, and um, I'm at one fourteen. So if I'll, I'll go ahead and read that, um, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So that's a complicated verse. So let's just take it step by step. It starts off by saying, which is the earnest? And so we often think of the word earnest as meaning sincere. Earnest in this instance is used as a noun. And the meaning of earnest in verse 14 is first fruits or a promise of things to come. An example that you may be familiar with in life is when you buy something expensive, uh, could be a car or a house or something like that. You're often required to put down a down payment or earnest money. And you're required to do that because it's essentially a promise of things to come. It's a promise that you are going to fulfill the obligation that you said you would do. Well, what verse 14 is saying is that verse 13 ended with the Holy Spirit of promise, and verse 14 then explains, which is the earnest of our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit was given to every believer as an earnest, as the first fruits, as a promise of things to come. So just ponder that for a minute. How amazing must the things to come in your life be if the Holy Spirit is just the first little taste, right? If it's just the first fruits, if it's just the promise of things to come, it tells you there must be some outstanding things that await mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 1, 21. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So what God has done is he's sealed us. That's, that's a wonderful thing. It means we can't lose our salvation. And he's given us the, the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. In other words, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Sometimes you may look at a believer's life and you may think, well, that believer doesn't hardly look different to me from anyone else in the world. Sometimes believers just live the same way and behave the same way. And that's not a good thing, but, you know, things happen on earth, just, you know, being honest about that. But there is a profound, profound difference between someone who is saved and someone who is not saved, because someone who is saved has the spirit residing in them as an earnest as a promise of what God is ultimately going to accomplish in them. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. So you've seen now three different verses telling us that God has given the Spirit as an earnest, as a promise of things to come. Now, what Ephesians 1.14 said was the Spirit was the earnest of our inheritance. So think of it this way. God has an inheritance for all of us that are in the body of Christ. Every single believer has an inheritance. And what God has done is he has given the Holy Spirit as a promise, as a foretaste of what 
our inheritance is ultimately going to be. What that tells you is you have untold wealth in Christ. And by that, I don't mean in the, in the bank account sense, right? Not in gold and stocks and bonds and things like that. But you have untold wealth in Christ because if the Holy Spirit is just a part, a foretaste of your inheritance, how great must your inheritance be? Now, the question you may then have is, okay, well, this inheritance sounds great, but when do we get it? Well, what Ephesians said was, until the redemption of the purchased possession. So what a believer is, is they are a purchased possession. They were purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ shed blood. We belong to him. You're probably familiar with 1 Corinthians 6, which is 19. Ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are that. So we are a purchased possession of God's. And we will receive it at the rapture. That's when the redemption occurs. And then if you notice how verse 14 ends again, it says, under the praise of his glory. And the idea is God gets the credit for saving us and for the redemption that that he has provided. So that's verse 14. Let's go ahead and look at verse 15. Okay. Um, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all saints. And read verse 16 also, please. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Very good. And so what Paul writes to the Ephesians there is that he ceased not to give thanks for them. And I want to spend a little time on this verse because there's often a lot of confusion about this. When, when Paul said he ceased not to give thanks, sometimes that verse is understood as what Paul did is every moment, every second of the day, he was in a constant state of prayer, that he was always given thanks. He was always praying every moment of the day. But that's not really what that verse is saying. And let me show you that. So we just looked at Ephesians 1.16. Compare it with Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this cause we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Well, who's the you in Colossians 1.9? It's got to be the Colossians because that's who Mm -hmm. Paul was writing to. So now let's do a little comparison. Ephesians 1.16, Paul said, cease not to give thanks for you. That's the Ephesians. Colossians 1 verse 9, do not cease to pray for you. That's the Colossians. Well, mm-hmm. obviously, God, Paul's not saying that he, he can't be saying, I'm praying every moment of the day for you Ephesians, and also saying, I'm praying every minute of the day for you Colossians, because mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not possible. My point in telling you all that is that when you think of those verses about ceasing not to pray and ceasing not to give thanks— 
it's not scripture saying you have to be in prayer every moment of the day. What I find to be the case, maybe you've experienced this, is people sometimes have super spiritual notions, right? That in other words, I'm in, I have to be in prayer every moment of the day. I'll just tell you that's not real. That, that's not practical. Let me ask you this. If your surgeon is operating on you, do you want him to be going through his prayer list or do you want him to be thinking about what he's doing? Right? I mean, you want right. him to be concentrating. Mm -hmm. In modern life, there's this idea of multitasking. And that's the idea of you can have your mind doing two things at once. We used to call that being distracted. <laughs> you know, in other words, your mind can only focus on one thing at a time. So what am I saying about all this? What I'm saying is this. In Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1, when it says, cease not to give thanks, it's not saying that Paul prayed for, pe for the people the every moment of, of the day. What it's saying is he never quit praying. In other words, he prayed for them today, and he prayed for them tomorrow, and he prayed for them the next day, and he didn't quit, right? He didn't say, well, just I'm giving up because I don't like mm -hmm. the results. It's he continued in prayer as a regular practice, not every single moment. Now, notice what Ephesians 1 verse 16 ends with. It says, making mention of you in my prayers. I don't know if you've encountered this, but if you've ever read books on prayer, what they will often say is, if you're spiritual, you'll pray two hours a day. Mm -hmm. And the more spiritual you are, the longer you'll pray. And I used to read things like that, and I'd think, well, I'm not so spiritual because I don't pray as long as these other folks pray. And the longer life has gone, the busier it's gotten. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to find time to pray two hours a day. I mean, to be honest with you. Would that be putting you under but bondage? anyway? It does put you under bondage. <clears throat> And if uh, let's look at Matthew 6, 7, which is the verse that helped me a lot in my thinking. Look at Matthew 6, 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions. Do people sometimes when they pray, repeat things again and again and again, bless you, bless mm -hmm. you, bless you, bless you, and things like that? Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. It's a heathen practice to use repetitions in prayer. And then it says, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. In other words, the heathen concept is, if I pray longer, God will hear me, and then he'll bless me. So I have to pray longer. So if I'm praying five minutes and I'm not getting what I want, I got to go to 10. And if I'm going 10 minutes and I'm not getting what I want, I better go to 15, and then a half hour and so on. Well, Matthew 6, 7 says it is a heathen concept that mm -hmm. the longer you pray, the more spiritual it is. Now, compare that with what Paul said in, in Ephesians 1, 16, making mention of you in my prayers. Well, does that sound like Paul talked for a half hour about everyone on his prayer list? Or does it sound like he mentioned them? When you mention mm -hmm. something, it's brief, it's concise, right? Yep. Well, if you think about all the people that Paul had to pray for, I mean, he established churches in Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi and Thessalonica and Galatia. And did, did Paul have, was it possible for Paul to pray even two minutes a day for all of 
his brothers in Christ mm-hmm. that he knew. It's, it's not possible. So what he had to do is he had to make mention of them in his prayers. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's helpful to you as you think about your prayer life. You need to not put yourself under the bondage of a performance system. Mm-hmm. You are accepted in the beloved. You are fully accepted in Jesus Christ, and you don't have to pray longer to get God to bless you because he's already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. Very good. That's good. And so that's verse 16. Let's do 17. Okay. And I'll throw a little thought into there that, you know, if that surgeon wants to pray before he starts the surgery over me, <laughs> I'll take that. So, right. Yeah. Not yeah. Amen. Not during, but before. If he wants to pray over me, go ahead. Uh, before he starts the surgery. That's right. Uh, so, Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This verse is interesting because this verse tells us how Paul actually prayed for people. And there are times where Paul prayed for mercy on Epaphroditus, as in Philippians 2, that Epaphroditus wouldn't die because he was sick nigh unto death. But the most common thing that Paul prays for in the scriptures is he prays for people to have wisdom and revelation and understanding. He doesn't pray for them to be rich. He doesn't pray for their, he doesn't focus his prayers on their, you know, earthly prosperity. What he Mm -hmm. prays is for them to have spiritual understanding because it's the most important thing. Uh, Look with me at Colossians 1 verse 9. We were there a minute ago, but I want to look at it again. And by the way, one of the things you may notice as we go through Ephesians is that we're consistently going to go to Colossians because Colossians has such useful cross-references. And I I mentioned that just to say that when you study the book of Ephesians, you know what you should keep close at hand? Colossians. And when you study Mm -hmm. Colossians, what should you keep close at hand? Ephesians, because the the two books will help explain each other. So Colossians 1.19 says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. What did he want to happen? And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul prayed that the members of the body of Christ would grow in understanding and knowledge. It reminds me of the verse in Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Now, I want to make the application to the time period in which we live. Paul commands us in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. So should we be studying God's word? We should. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when Paul prayed for the Ephesians and the Colossians to have all wisdom and spiritual understanding, how are they going to get it? Was it going to fall out of heaven and hit them on the head? Um, the way they were going to get it is they were going to get it by studying God's word. That's, that's how God gives us knowledge today. And that's why it's important 
to search the scriptures daily because that's how you learn what God is doing. I mean, does God write messages in the sky? Does God tell you things through the weather or tornadoes? Or does he tell you things through his written word? Mm-hmm. That's how he tells us. And that's where our focus needs to be. Yeah, when we, when we read a verse or whatever, we need to study that verse like we're doing now. Um, study that verse and find out what the verse means instead of just reading through it. Yes. Mm-hmm. It requires work, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, but it's exciting, too, when you get new information or uh, things that you didn't understand before and, and that comes into you. Uh, Absolutely. Are we ready for yeah. verse 18? How about 18? Okay. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. So in verse 18, Paul wants the eyes of their understanding being enlightened. He wants them to have some wisdom. He wants them to have some knowledge. And then he specifically says one of the things he wants them to know, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. So there's a hope that we can look for. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2 is going to explain some things about our hope. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. So the grace of God teaches us something. Now notice this. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, Notice this with me just for a minute. When you teach grace, some people will say, well, you're saying it's okay to sin because what you're saying is I'm not saved by works and so I can get away with anything I want. Well, that's not what the scripture encourages you to do. If you choose to do that, that's your choice that you're making. That's not a choice that God is telling you is a good choice. And what Titus 2 actually says is that the grace of God in verse 11 teaches us in verse 12 that what should we really do? We should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So grace actually teaches us we should live in the right way. Mm-hmm. Then verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, there's our hope. The blessed hope is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's the rapture. Okay. About, um, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us words who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So this tells us that God's power towards us is great. And one of the things it reminds us of is look with me at Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, mm-hmm. it being the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, I would suggest to you that the gospel of Christ is more powerful than a nuclear bomb. A nuclear bomb can blow things up and it can destroy things, but it can't change anyone's eternal destiny, can it? Mm -hmm. 
The gospel of Christ has the ability that when a sinner believes it, what happens is they are translated from the darkness of this world into the kingdom of his dear son. In other words, you get saved the moment you believe the gospel of Christ. That's the greatness of God's mm-hmm. power to usward. Let's look at verse 20. And what I was going to do is right before we close, since we're coming towards our end, uh, we did have a question from Wayne. Uh, if we would like to. Um, Let's it, do it, that. Yeah, okay. and it has something to do with our our, mess, our uh, teachings today. Uh, he says, um, Jesus referenced in Matthew 24, 13, he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. So it would seem to be more than pure grace by faith alone. What do you make of the scriptures? Good question. So Matthew 24, mm-hmm. 13 does say that, uh, and I'll just read it here. I, I opened to it. So Matthew 24, 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, Matthew 24, 13 is the kingdom gospel that was taught by the 12 apostles uh, during the Lord's earthly ministry. And it was taught in the early part of the book of Acts. But that gospel is different from the gospel of Christ that was revealed to the, the apostle Paul. Um, if you recall, we started this program by looking at Galatians 2, verses 7 and 9, and that told us that Peter and Paul have different gospels. Well, the gospel we're saved by today doesn't require endurance because we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. They're just two different gospels. All right. Thank you uh, for answering that. So hopefully that helps answer your question there um, uh, for Wayne. Okay. And that just shows that rightly dividing the word of truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. When I said two different gospels, there are two different gospels at different points in time for different people. I'm not okay. saying that you can pick any gospel you want, but what I'm saying is God had one gospel in time past, and he has a different gospel today during the dispensation of grace. Right. So it's important to know what time period you're living in. Yes. Yeah, it's important. So, and that would be important, um, you know, a good reading material of what what is that book? What was the name of that book you have? Are there contradictions in the Bible? Questions and answers about dispensationalism. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're um, having questions about that, definitely reach out to us. We will definitely get you that book um, so that you can review it and have those answers for yourself. Uh, So we appreciate everyone joining us today. We enjoyed today going through Ephesians. And we'll be back in Ephesians next week, David? Yes, we will be. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. And we will see everyone next week. You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. 